This is Business Rockstars. Inspiring, informing, and connecting a community of entrepreneurs. The biggest entrepreneurial podcast on the planet. We are here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Pat O'Brien. Eden Jalot Bo is our guest from Jalot Communications. Hi, Eden. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Good. I like that. Uh, Eden uh, is a crisis solver, almost more than anything. Yeah. Uh, so it's somebody that I like. Uh, how busy are you? It, it's actually kind of funny. The first part of the year is actually kind of quiet, and I believe it's because everyone makes New Year's resolutions to be on their best behavior. Right. Starting towards the end of January, which is now, people are starting to slip along with their gym memberships. And how does that, how does that work? I mean, do they call you? What, what happens here? So generally, people call us when the stuff has hit the fan. Help! Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I wish that more people were more proactive about it, but generally people wait until something happens. Their first call is generally to their lawyer, and their second call is either to us or to their family, depending on the situation. Well, it should be to the public, right? The first call? Yeah. Uh, no, they should probably talk to their legal team first and us to get the strategy right. before they talk what to kind, the public. What levels of trouble are we talking about? Oh, everything. Um, there are some people who know, you know, want to be proactive, and so they're trying to manage situations before they get really bad, and they could be anything from, you know, uh, employment disputes within their business to the celebrities that once you hit a certain level of fame, crazy comes and finds you. So sometimes it's actually not their fault at all, the celebrity's fault. It's people with just crazy ideas that come after them, trying to come after their money. Right. Much. Well, I've been through this. Um, and I find that if you don't tell the truth right away, my theory is admit, apologize, and advance. The triple A's. I'm always a big believer in you got to tell the truth. And it's one of those things that if you tell the truth, you're not going to have a problem remembering what you told people later because <laughs> exactly. it's the truth. Uh, some people think that they can get away with lying. And especially with the Internet nowadays, you can't do that. Well, you must be busy. It's uh, Because with the Internet now, even people who aren't in trouble looks like they're in trouble. It's I call it the unfair burden of proof. It's one of those things that when allegations are made, even if they're not true, you know, we're a very cynical society and we're going to believe probably the worst thing unless we hear otherwise. And so if somebody makes an allegation against you, you want to get out there and tell your side of the story. Otherwise, if someone's just making crazy allegations online and your side never pops up, if someone's doing research, they're only going to see a one-sided story and right. it's not going to be yours. Yeah. So. so what do you do initially? Initially, I'm we... I'm talking about a crisis. All right, so crisis comes in, we have to gather all the facts mm -hmm. because if we don't have all the facts, we can't protect our clients the best way. We've actually had to let a couple go because they've withheld certain facts. Can't Their reasoning that. being, well, if I told you the whole truth, you wouldn't have an easy time representing me. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, but now that really undermines our strategy. And you look like a liar. We look like we can't counsel you well. So, we so you're kind of like a defense attorney, right? It's uh, if I wasn't doing crisis PR, I'd be a lawyer. Right. No. What a choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, give me the kinds, of, without mentioning people, give me the kinds of cases that come in. We get a lot of labor and employment cases, especially in California. California labor laws are just insane. And it's one of those things that even if you have just one employee, there are a lot of opportunistic people. And then there are also so many different rules that you could be on top of your game and things are constantly changing. For example, um, on March 1st, 
they are actually going to be changing single-use bathrooms where instead of it just being designated for a male or a female, it just needs to be restroom. And so this is a law that probably not a lot of people know about. And we're going to start finding a lot of changes where people are going, oh, I see the bathroom's not labeled properly. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> yeah. Well, people love to sue, right? It's a how California easy, pastime, I think. How hard is it to say to a client, you can't do this? It's really easy to say, <laughs> we're not going to do this. It's one of those things, it's about managing expectations. You don't want to tell them that you're going to be able to fix this and then have it turn around and go, you know, why didn't this work? So you are like, a, so if you have all the facts, and by the way, give all the facts, uh, then you feel compelled to, um, you can win then, right? Unless they murdered somebody. It's how you, well, there is an episode of The Good Wife and Eli Gold says it's not about the facts, but what the facts can be made to look like. So it's important to know all the facts, <laughs> but it's how you craft them and put them together. It's all about how you frame something. Right. Yeah. That's why I should have hired you. We are here to inspire, inform, and connect the community of entrepreneurs. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Pat O'Brien. Eden Jalat. I like you. I like you, Jalat. That's what she said, how to pronounce it. Uh, president of Jalat Communications. So, um, do you give, do you give uh, some seminars in how not to get in trouble? I, I do. First of all, what kind of trouble are we talking about here? It depends. So board members tend to get in a lot of trouble. And I think a lot of people that join boards are so excited at the opportunity to sit on a board, they don't realize all of the responsibilities that come along with it. And so those things are, I lovingly call it oops where the money go. Right. A lot of times fraud, fraud, embezzlement. Uh, the people that are running the organization, they're under, you know, a bigger microscope than most people because boards have to be squeaky clean and nonprofits have to be, you know, living up to a higher standard. So but their personal lives can come and ruin things quite yeah. often. Uh, but so when you're one of those people who gets in trouble, uh, wouldn't you hire you early on anticipating that you will? Or aren't people You'd that like smart? to think so. Yeah. It's like going to the doctor. There are some people like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit sick, but I'm just going to see just how bad this gets. And just like going <laughs> to the, you know, going to the ER, it's, you know, really expensive and it's going to, you know, probably not have the best results if you wait until, you know, your arm is going. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? I, I didn't think I wanted to, but I Here always. you are. Yeah, but I, I didn't realize it at the time, but it's one of those things that I love to change things. Mm -hmm. And I've worked at big organizations before. And if I see an inefficiency, I like to be able to actually go through and make the shift. But when you work at a large organization, it's really hard to shift the boat and turn it. And so- You can't being, turn it. <laughs> you can't. And it's I hated- It's a three mile long boat. I hated hearing, you know, yeah. I know we can do this better, but this is just the way it's always been done. Or, you know, this is above my pay grade and I can't do anything about it. How many, do you have a, um, a number on how many successes you've had? We have never had a client that was unhappy with our work. Do you have a number Knock on, on how many successes you had? <laughs> um, no, but I mean, is it overwhelming? Is it uh, on the plus side? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how good you are. I, I love my job. Every day is a little bit different. It's That's oh. not an answer. <laughs> I'm taking it from your own playbook here. Um, I've never gone through and actually tracked. I don't keep a running tally of how many different clients we've had over the years, but I... Yes, it's well into the hundreds. I love this because this this job never would have existed years ago, right? I feel like it's always existed, just yeah, in different forms. Yeah, it'd be like HR, but that's different. Yeah. You know? 
So we talked about your mentor. Who's your favorite entrepreneur? Uh, the Virgin America guy. Uh, Branson. There we go. How come everybody says Branson? I just like his... I love him, I but... Just, it's his energy. He and does stuff. Yeah. He does stuff and gets things done. As opposed to the rest of us. We think about stuff, me anyway, and don't get it done. So do you live here? Do you travel a lot? I do travel quite a bit. Uh, my home base is out of Santa Monica, but I lived in New York for a while. I lived in London. I lived in Seoul, kind of all over the place. I find this so fascinating because uh, we were talking during the break, but sometimes clients uh, get so wrapped up in themselves, mm -hmm. they think they can solve it, yep. uh, no matter what the problem is. I mean... How do you undo that? Well, the best, the best part about it is that when they've already called us, they know that they need help. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of those things that... It's hard to be, what's the word I'm looking for? It's hard to be uh, a crystal ball, a crystal ball, but objective. It's really hard to be objective when you're dealing with your own situation. Um, when we were on the break, somebody was talking about getting in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where you're in a car accident, you know, it's really, really upsetting. You're not really thinking about stuff when really a friend that probably had seen the accident could probably describe the whole thing better. Right. Um, a lot of people tend to get themselves into trouble. Well, how do you wade through the uh, BS? I'm sure there's a lot. Client BS or? No, I come to you and I say, I, uh, I, I embezzled a million bucks, but I didn't really do it. You know, it's a computer error. Listening, I find, is actually the best thing mm -hmm. possible. You listen, you listen to what's not being said, and then you get a private investigator on it. Right. Yeah. This could be a growing business now with the internet and everything going on. There's a lot of ways to get in trouble. Now. There are a lot of ways to get in trouble. And with the internet, the speed and the documentation only makes it worse. And right. so it's one of those things that when something happens, you need to really get out there and tell your side of the story. Otherwise, the one side is just going to show up and your side is not going to be visible at all. So people are only going to believe what they see. What about the tabloids? I mean, they'll print anything. The best thing to do is to keep yourself out of trouble. But you know, we're not all saints or angels here. So it's responding to the tabloids if things have been printed in a timely fashion. That's a good point because I was told don't respond to anything because even a no comment can bring another story. Yeah, no comment. You know, Pat O'Brien O'Brien wouldn't comment about the fact that he blank. Yeah. There's always something that you can say or do to make the situation better. And How about saying, hang up? <laughs> uh, saying no comment makes it look like you're hiding something. Yeah. yeah. Any of your clients get involved in the tabloids? There are a handful of them, yeah. Yeah. So the tabloids buy these stories mm -hmm. uh, from people that are not your friends. And there, there's usually, a, with the smoke, there's fire. There's usually one little bit. Yep. I know when I went through my deal, um, there were 17 facts wrong but they were story. rooted in one certain truth right yeah i mean with yeah. yeah i mean i didn't deny anything but um it seems to me in your job it'd be hard to deal with people who really don't care what they print well you know you don't want to get into an argument with somebody who buys their ink by the barrel right so you've heard that thing before yeah, right um it's a good one. so it's one of those things that you know you can't please everyone and not everyone's going to be a fan of you. And, there, you know, there are going to be people that are going to be upset. But it's really about where your audience is. And if the people that you care about are reading it, then you should care about it and respond. But how, how about disappearing? Not moving to Mars, but I'm just disappearing from the media. 
It, you mean entirely or well, yeah, after I mean, a it's your job to make sure that it, whatever media you do about this situation mm -hmm. doesn't start another story. Very, very true. So usually when people get into trouble and they start acting erratically and going off in different directions, they can actually end up landing in deeper trouble and sticking their foot in their mouth and, you know, just dragging the story out. Um, disappearing makes it rough because people are going to constantly write stories again and again, trying to find more information. And you kind of are just going to die by, you know, a death by a thousand cuts. The best thing is to get out in front of it, tell your story and take the wind out of people's sails. If you did do something, admit to it. Say you're sorry, and then move on. Apologize, admit, yep. and advance. We are here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Pat O'Brien. Eden Gillette. We like her as Gillette. That's how you remember her name, right? Um, I'm fascinated by this because there's so much going on in the world mm -hmm. and so many people that can mess up. There is never a shortage of problems in my business. Right. Yeah. Um, what do you think? And I, and I, I see it getting worse, you know, and, and I can, I can foresee what's going to happen to these people. How uh, honest and stringent are you with your clients? Always honest. There's yeah. no point in lying. It's always about managing expectations. If you start telling them fluffy stuff and that everything's going to, you know, be sunshine and rainbows and then it's not, they can actually end up turning around and probably suing you. So it's always good to manage. So have you ever said you're really in trouble here? Yeah. <laughs> A lot. It's That's good to be true. honest. And sometimes, you know, it's the come to Jesus moment. They have to really understand how bad things are. And hopefully that conversation is not while they're in jail, right? Hopefully not. We've talked to some people immediately after they get out of jail. And it's one of those things like, I can't go home. I have news cameras, you know, vans parked out in front of my house. What do I do? And that's actually one of those things where I don't say disappear, but I go, how about staying with a family member that, you know, doesn't have news vans or maybe Grandma. check into a hotel. <laughs> don't go home if you look kind of scrubby. Yeah. So, um... What made you get this idea? To go into this business? Yeah. My father. So he raised me to be, mm, I wouldn't say a spin doctor, but my mother's not in the business and she actually always hated it because while we don't believe in lying, there's a thing called selective truth telling, right? So you select certain facts. Some people <laughs> call it alternative facts. So uh, I was always very good at, you know, playing devil's advocate and framing a story in a way to basically deliver bad news in the nicest way possible. Mm -hmm. I actually started my career writing breakup letters for friends in elementary school. Um, <laughs> and so it's one of those- wait, wait, wait. Rewind, rewind. <laughs> okay. You started what? Uh, I started my career in or crisis and reputation management writing breakup letters for friends. Yeah. It's about delivering bad news in the nicest way possible. And so it actually segues over into business. <laughs> it's the same thing where, you know, if you're having a business dispute, it's breaking up with that person and, you know, controlling the damage. Dear Bob, yeah. we can no longer go this. If I had known back then that I'd be doing this today, I would have saved one of the many drafts that I wrote, right? It was on three-wing binder paper, you know, written in pencil, you know. I can't remember, but it was probably something along the lines in of, it's not you, it's me. Right, in Palmer, you know, Palmer. Yeah. Handwriting, you know, that looks like a high school girl. So where are you going to go from here? Where do you want to be in five years? Doing this. I just love it. I can't imagine. How busy are you? I am, I am busy enough, but always making time for you, right? So we're busy enough. That's why we like her a lot. Uh, my job is 24-7. My phone's mm -hmm. on me constantly, except for now. Um, when they first call, I'm, uh, what's the first thing you say? 
when they when they call and they say, "Eden, I'm in I'm in trouble and I need help." Tell me what happened. Right. And I want to hear everything. I used to say, "Tell me what happens." Um, I actually had a client call who I picked up the phone, said Jalak Communications, didn't say my name, and this person started telling me all of the sordid, crazy facts. I listened, you know, asked some questions, and at the very end, in a gentle way, I went, you know, just. Don't do that anymore. Just so you know, you probably should have checked. I could have been the secretary or, you know, who knows, right? right? Verify who you're talking to on the phone before you start saying all these things. But at least they didn't put it into writing. I find a lot of clients will commit a lot of things to writing. And it's just like writing your own death sentence. Right. And so how do you calm people down? Because I th- we, and we, we talked about this before. Um, everybody who gets in trouble mm-hmm. panics. And they want it all solved in one day. Yeah. Right, you know, get, get these people off me. And in doing that, am I right? They'll, they'll do stupid things. Mm-hmm. It's telling them, breathe, we got this. Yeah. yeah. Because your ego will make up more things than anybody could. Yes, we are probably our own, own worst enemies. And so people are usually like, oh, the media is coming after me. Oh, they're my worst enemy. And I'm, no, that's not even true. I'm screwed. I'm You're never your own again. worst enemy, right. right? The media is not really out to get you generally. Uh, fine. Do most people get it when you say, well, here we are. Yeah. You, you, you must have done it because you called me. Yeah. And then try to be calm with them and move them on, right? Yep. It's always about calming them down before they go out and do something worse. But generally, they're very relieved to be on the phone with us. Once they got legal, they got us. Well, that's a big, big thing. Yeah. Because yeah. you're uh, an angel to them. Um. So the website is um, Gillotte Communications, G-I-L-L-O-T-T communications.com. What's on the website? Resources are books. We actually have two of them. Uh, one's a lawyer's guide to crisis PR and one's a board member's guide because lawyers we work with on a daily basis and board members tend to get themselves into trouble a lot. Crisis PR, you're like a painter. There's always painting to be done. Yes, yeah. You know, it's the best <laughs> job in the world. Thank you for coming by. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Did a great job. Business rock stars. I think one thing that's incredibly important and seems pretty novel at first, at least it did to me, uh, was really having incredibly clear company values and making sure that you just iron them into people. Like, um, you know, some of ours would be like surprise and delight is a huge thing for us. That's how we measure performance in a lot of ways is like, how often do you come back and like surprise and delight your team leader with like just your progress, the way that you've done something? Or another thing we say is always be branding. Like everything is about brand. Think about brand, think about how a consumer will, like think about the company based on your actions. So it's, there's a lot of these things that if you can get people to align with those things, there will be sort of a natural selection of people that are a phenomenal fit. And so that is one thing I would highly encourage any entrepreneur to do right when they're starting which seems sort of like a monotonous first task, but like just set your company values. Set like five to seven really key things that you believe in that you would never want to change. And that'll really help to form an amazing team. Business Rockstars. We're the biggest entrepreneur platform on the planet. Welcome to Business Rockstars. Joining me right now, President, CEO, and co-founder of Origin Clear, we've got Riggs Eckleberry. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Alex, it's a pleasure. So give us an overview of your entrepreneurship journey and about your current business. Yes, well, I think I'm the proof that uh, college is not absolutely necessary 
In fact, uh, more and more these days, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you might think twice about spending those extra years in, uh, you know. That's a bold statement. I love that. You know, the Ivy League is great if you're going to specialize, if you're going to go down the road of, you know, a PhD or a master's and so forth. That's very important. But if you're going to go out there and fight, then I think you need a really good basic education. And I was very, very happy that I got one. And then start doing. So you didn't go to college. Right. Okay. So what does being an entrepreneur mean to you? It means relying entirely on your ability to adapt to conditions in a way that ultimately you succeed. So did you have a nine to five job or how did you actually get into entrepreneurship? Yeah, very good question because um, first of all, I, one thing about being an entrepreneur I think is that you've, you've, you've had a very adaptable life and my dad was um, foreign exec. He was an American constantly running branches of Procter & Gamble in different countries. And so we, we never knew, we never had friends for very long. It was almost like being an army brat, you know. Uh, so I got, you know, through much of my schooling in the French system. And finally, my dad said, we better Americanize you. This is the early 60s. So he sent me to the States to finish schooling there. And I kind of derailed. I, I, you know, I went to a good prep school and I was supposed to just, you know, one out of five of the kids in that school went to Harvard. It was kind of like a Harvard track school. And um, I haven't turned down Harvard, which was crazy. Wow. Yeah. So what made you want to do that? I mean, obviously you're very young at this point. So what made you go, I'm just going to skip school, not just any school, but an Ivy League school? <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> but what happened was I really uh, wanted to do something about the world. I got involved in the nonprofit space. I also went to sea and became a, a ship captain. And that's my formal uh, vocational education is as a master of ocean-going ships. And I've been all over the world doing that. And one day, though, in the late 70s, I realized that that was not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in the the hubbub of the world and, and make a difference right there where people are. And so I jumped feet first into New York City. And that's where I ended up with my first entrepreneurial thing. So take us back to that point a little bit, the beginning years of entrepreneurship. What was it like and how did you know it was a good fit for you? Well, it was the early 80s mm -hmm. and companies were still using those old safeguard ledgers with carbons and so forth. And it was really the beginning of high tech. And I had this vision that technology was going to change the world. I really felt that very strongly. And so I, out of the blue, I just started a company to computerize these small and medium businesses all over New York City. No capital, no concept of how I was going to make it. And um, an amazing ride throughout the 80s. Uh, I didn't party as much as I should have, but that means I remember it, right? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Were you ever afraid of failing? And did you ever consider quitting? Every single day. I think you, you'd Still? be great. Well, no. By now, I think I'm relaxed. <laughs> just, just in the beginning. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, yeah. how do I make payroll? The, the biggest thing about being an entrepreneur is the every two-week event of making payroll. Mm. Now, 
what, you know, what, would I, what could I have done better back then? I think I didn't realize, uh, for example, a good friend of mine introduced me to an investment banker. He says, we're going to take you public. And I was like, nah, nah, I don't need that. I need to be much bigger before I go public. Well, turns out that that would have been very, very interesting. And today I know that going public is a great route to getting financed and, and succeeding. Yeah. So if you could go back to yourself back then and give yourself advice, what would that advice be? You know, I was still getting rid of preconceived ideas. I was still going, okay, this is how it, things should be and so forth. And I hadn't quite just relied on my native instinct yet. And just, you know, and the other thing is, is that what's very important with native instincts is also to know who you should associate with and who are good people to connect with. And I think that over the years, I've gotten better and better and going, you know what? This is not the right person. And then, of course, my, my wife is fantastic. She'll tell me, that guy, no, have nothing to do with that guy. Women are very intuitive. Very good. So that's the second part is, who do you associate with? And how's that going to help you? And many is the time I had to just disengage and go, eh. Many, many entrepreneurs have these difficult partnerships or, or, or business connections that, that really don't help them at all. So that's something really important is know who you're hooking up with. It might seem like a short-term gain, like, oh, Alex, let's start a business together. You know this, I know that, boom, boom, boom. And then pretty soon it's like a marriage, right? So you mentioned native instincts, yeah. alluding to that's really important for an entrepreneur. So what are you saying is native instinct and how do you tap into that more? I think native instinct comes from just trying things out. One of the things that I really developed out of sheer survival was adaptability. So I try something and, you know, they say fail early, fail often. That's cliche, sure. but it's very true. If you just, well, just go do it, try it out. And you'll develop that instinct. Like, oh, you know what? That wasn't great. But if that relationship is not great, cut it off early. So Just, you start to develop uh, awareness of patterns, basically, because you're trying different mm -hmm. things. You're starting to become aware of what works, what doesn't. And also, what do you like? That's very important. I, you know, in my early years, I, I was, felt I was going to be a filmmaker. And I actually got to work in film uh, in that sort of period just before the early, 90, or the, the early 90s. I actually got to work in film. And, like everyone else in LA, I had my year in film. And it was fantastic. But I realized, no, I really love technology. That's the transformational thing. People know how to make films. They don't necessarily know how to make technology work. What's the best and worst part about being an entrepreneur? The best part is you don't have a schedule. The worst part is you don't have a schedule. They're both the same. <laughs> I've it's, heard that before. <laughs> you've got, you've, you've, you've got to... Um, Learn that there are time sucks and there are people and situations that will just, you know, draw the air out of the room. For example, if you're a small company, going after grants is like, oh, my God, because your whole little company gets completely, you know, exhausted into uh, following up with grants. And then the guy who was going to get it in the first place gets it. Things like that. So you got to be very wary. Now, sometimes if you have the connections, go for it. I'm not saying grants are bad. But know who you are if you're an outsider. So how do you have the discernment for where to spend your time? Right. Again, it's a matter of you won't know ahead of time. Jump into it. 
uh, I, I've, I've blown people's minds before. At one point I had a, a, I was working as a marketer for a, a company that was trying to roll out new products. And they were trying to find the, the, the tentpole product. Mm-hmm. And I'd throw up the whole website and this, that, and the other thing. And then we go, never mind, throw it down. And the CEO went, dude, you just built a whole company and then you just threw it away? I'm like, how else can you test it, right? And I evolved that into what I later called mistake-based marketing, which I think summarizes it. So if you were to create a toolkit for the startup entrepreneur, what would be included in it? It could be technology-based. It could be tangible, intangible, up to you. Interesting. Uh, You know, one of the things that an entrepreneur needs to do, I think, before they become an entrepreneur, is get as much real-world exposure as possible. Travel, do any kind of job. Go get get be a PA in Hollywood. Do whatever. And just... Be exposed so to a lot. So work for of, someone else first. Don't just oh, immediately no, yeah. go into entrepreneurship. But, you know, I'm not saying, you know, you got to have a career. You know, just do stuff and snag a job, be, you know, work as a rigor in all, all field, whatever you, you, you feel you can do, just, just to get your feel and, and to finally understand what you like. I think that's really important. Two more things in that toolkit. What other two things, other two things do entrepreneurs need to do? Well, I think they need to know their native sense of ethics. What is, what is your, your ethical sense? Because I was talking about those bad relationships, and I've had them, but I managed to not suffer from them because at the core, I managed to remain ethical. And I think that's really, really critical is that you are what you are, and your integrity is you are. You're not going to become some you know, duplicate of yourself to become, oh, that, this is the, really, the one you want to see. So be yourself, be ethical. Integrity means wholeness, right? And that, so that's, that's number two, is, is really adhere to yourself. That's number two. Number three is, and this is very important, because I, I gave a speech once on entrepreneurialism, and a, a, out, coming out of it, this guy from Germany came up to me and said, Rex, I, I can't believe it. You, in Germany, if we fail, it's over. Our life is finished. And it's true, there's countries where you can't fail, that you're, you're done. Fortunately, in America, we can fail, and we can fail again and again and again. And so use that. Fail. And, and then, you know, don't um, get all mired into the, oh, my God, I'm no good. It's like, fine, okay. Learning experience, get detached. And that's really, really important, is not to just start drinking alone in a dark room in your living room. Don't do that. That is the best advice that I've heard all day. Thank you so much for that. We are the biggest entrepreneur platform on the planet. Welcome back to Business Rockstars, where I'm continuing my conversation with the president, CEO, and co-founder of Origin Clear. Thanks so much for coming back and talking about your journey as an entrepreneur and then, of course, how you built your business. So let's start there. Where did the idea come for Origin Clear? Well, thank you, Alex. I went through the dot-com in the 90s, which was a a crazy time. We hit the year 2000, and of course, all the easy, fun stuff kind of went away. We had to build real companies. To me, that was the f- actually when it started becoming a lot of fun. So in the early 2000s, I started having wins where I felt that wasn't just kind of like being carried along by the, the technology wave. You know, did things like gotyellowpages.com um, into a success and so forth. And I was doing high tech, doing high tech. I was working in a company that we, were, we got onto the NASDAQ. I said, you know what? I think I know more than that CEO does. 
fateful thing. Don't ever <laughs> watch out. And I talked to a, a fund and I said, I'd like to be a CEO. And they said, yeah, we think you can be a CEO, but we're now doing green. We don't do software anymore. We don't do high tech. Um, so are you willing to run a green company? I'm like, yeah, I want to change the world. Let's do it. And what uh, my brother and I came up with, uh, my, my innovator brother, Nicholas, came, and I came up with was this idea for doing something about algae. And at that time in 2007, algae was hot. I ended up on Fox Business, CNN, uh, you name it. I was the media darling because algae was like, algae, who knew, right? It was like this special thing. The only problem is that algae very quickly got just completely stomped on by the whole fracking and horizontal drilling boom that happened a couple years later. But what we did learn in the algae period of the company was the technology that we have today. Interesting. So one of the struggles for entrepreneurs is funding their business. So a question we like to ask all of our entrepreneurs in this seat is, how did you come up with the capital to start your business? Well, I was very fortunate to have a fund behind me so that when, and they specialized in funding companies in the public markets, which is a whole subspecialty. Talk about testing your integrity. Lord have mercy. It is, uh, the, the penny stock market is an interesting space. <laughs> but they knew all about it. And they said, Riggs, we're going to guide you. And they, they said, this is how it's done. And they laid out the whole funding path. And uh, it went very well. And, and we've managed to work through 10 years and develop a world-class technology with being a penny stock company. So I know you're a co-founder, so tell me about your business partners and how you work together. Sure. Well, my, my other founder was and is Nicholas Eckleberry, who is just, uh, you know, he's Mr. Back to the Future. He's completely visionary. And um, what is so special about our company all along has been that we're cross-disciplinary. We're not in silos. He, too, didn't bother with higher education but like Mead had a pretty decent basic education. And so he was, a, he was able to go, hmm. And from all this cross-pollination, we came up with this idea. He did, and it, I totally supported it, of using electricity to get all the microscopic stuff in water out of the water efficiently. Originally, it was to get the algae out. But now it's to get very dirty, very oily water cleared up. And even in drinkable water to get all those uh, tiny particles like, like, like uh, uh, drugs and, and solvents and hormones, which are, you can't filter those out, we can't. So it's a whole new way of looking at getting stuff out of water and making it really clear, hence Origin Clear. How many employees do you guys have? We try to have as few as possible. Okay. So when you are hiring, how, many, <laughs> how, how do you hire those few wonderful people? Well. At corporate, uh, the reason I say we try to have as few as possible is that we are a licensing company. So we try and develop technology and then do the licensing deals and joint ventures that our partners will do the heavy lifting in the various countries. Uh, however, we also started to buy companies that they do have people because they're service companies. In order to build manufacturing and distribution, we thought that buying companies was a good idea. So. 
there's only half a dozen people in LA, but there's 24 in McKinney, Texas, for example. And um, we're gonna, the growth of the company is going to be, if you have a water service company, join us. Gotcha. Do you believe in the philosophy, hire slow, fire fast? Uh, no, actually. I, I, I think that my barrier to hiring somebody is pretty low, but I generally do it on a tryout basis, consult to hire. So like, Alex, you seem to have the right skill set. I've seen your work, fine, boom, boom, boom. Let's get going. Let's get a little gig going here. And it's working well. You'll get, a, you'll, you'll get an offer. And I think that's better than going through the 25 serial interviews, which are worthless. Because in those 25 serial interviews, you'll have, a, you know, three out of those 25 are outright fools. And they're going to, you know, stop all the good people from coming on board. So I think that it's really about the head of the line of business says, I like this person. Let's bring him or her on and see where it goes. If you weren't in your current role, or let's even take it as far as if you weren't an entrepreneur, what would you be doing? That is a really interesting question. I have to throw you a curveball. Yes. I would like very much, um, once we achieve our success, which I, I, I do see the end now, now that we're, we have this technology, I want to help other companies, uh, other entrepreneurs, kind of make it more efficiently than I did. I can see all kinds of ways we could have done this in half the time, made fewer mistakes, et cetera, and spent less money, all of which, you know, you can do more in less time if you can get more efficient. Well, I'd love to godfather companies. That would be so much fun. Cool. What's been the biggest mistake and the biggest success in your entrepreneurship journey? I think the biggest mistake is not cutting off um, technology directions that weren't profitable. I mean, I'll give an example. We had at one point we decided to develop, it, it was, seemed good, like a good idea at the time, but to develop our own um, motherboard-based um, process control system. And a few months went by and I, this guy kept working on it. I finally said, hey, excuse me, there's PCs out there. There's all kinds of stuff. Why are we develop? why are we inventing the wheel? So the, the willingness to cut off technology directions early enough, it's hard to do because you go, wow, that's a bright, shiny object. That's super cool. No, you're, you're burning time and money. So that's number one. Okay, so what's been your biggest success? My biggest success, I think, has come from the fact that I so totally love what we're doing. And I, I'm able to, I think, uh, create that, that energy in the company where we feel we really are making a difference. And it's communicating to our partners and to the financial markets. And uh, it, it, it really comes from the fact that we've got something great. I love it. And it communicates. What do you think has been the key to achieving that success so far? Wow. I think it's really doing something you really like. Um, I've done things I didn't like, and I did them well because the process was good. You know, I once worked on a commercial where we never slept, and, and it was god-awful work. But I was fascinated by the process, and so I got through it. But you couldn't sell me on doing that as a career. So, 
you know, you got to like it. You got to think, wow, this is. Not just like it, love it, right? <laughs> thank you. Because you get, you get up, you go, okay, I want to talk to these people about this cool thing we've got. I mean, Elon Musk loves what he does. There's no question. You can tell. And that's the key. Love it. Well, thank you so much for stopping by, sharing all your business insight. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure. We are the biggest entrepreneur platform on the planet. This is Business Rockstars. Business Rockstars.